0: A bit of fun prompted by a similar thread on the SFF which I enjoyed reading but couldn't contribute to because I'm not allowed to. The idea was to select a team of rods numbering five you would invite to fish with you on an exclusive river beat. It could be anyone, celebrity, famous, infamous, friend, local, foreign, dead, alive, love or hate, and a short list of reasons why. There were quite a few great suggestions I'd happily have had a day with, and also more than a few I wouldn't. In this bitter and twisted version I've modified the idea to a list of ten loam anglers, alive or dead, present or past, well known or not, fly or troll, that I'd like to share my boat with for a week, for a day each, Monday to Friday, two at a time with me as gilly on the oars slash net in a week of good fishing conditions. And with a final day Saturday invite going to the two with whom I'd most enjoyed the weekday out. Only stipulation is the day would be spent in their own particular fishing era when there were salmon and sea trout plenty but using present-day boats, engines, rods, reels, lines and equipment. I'd be mortified myself having to take anyone from a previous era out now to let them see what we'd allowed Locke Loman to become in 2020, but their reactions to today's fiberglass boats, modern marine engines, depth sounders, carbon rods, tapered plastic lines, monofilament casts, Toby's, rapala, dapping, etc., would be priceless. After a lot of thought here's my own choice. Day 1. Monday a full dedicated salmon fly fishing day on the Endrick Bank and a 15 mph warm SW breeze and fishing with Henry Lamond and Michael Brady, in my opinion the two most successful, committed and important Yaya chairmen-slash-secretaries ever in Yaya history and both also Lomond anglers of note. Their thoughts on everything from hatcheries and stocking to improvement strategies and the present state of the Yaya would fill the boat and the air around with ideas and pure unbounded enthusiasm. Fishing would be an afterthought, and lunch would be forgotten in a meeting of minds so powerful and persuasive and knowledgeable that they both achieved yai miracles in their own lifetimes. I might even get a word in myself occasionally, but one full day would be too short even if it lasted until midnight. Brady couldn't help himself but take the oars occasionally to get us over the fish, and then I'd even get in a bit of fishing myself. Lamond would be happy reminiscing about the old lock, old characters and past days. The lock will never have floated two more dedicated yai men, Nor two who made so much difference in their day. Lamond was an author of note, with numerous angling books, including his still-famous Locke Lomond in 1931, a journalist, a noted fishery expert testifying in legal cases, an accomplished artist who illustrated his own books, and an educated man of note even in a time liberally sprinkled with educated men. Brady wrote no books but left plenty of raw material. He was the smartest, hardest-working, most inspirational, completely self-taught fishery and hatchery expert, committed bailiff most honest and selfless individual I've ever known in my life. And all packed into the frame of a man 20 years younger, as hard as nails, as fit as three ordinary men, and as fearless as a Tasmanian devil. His intelligence and self-garnered knowledge was based on intensive reading but he was no dedicated scholar, having left school at the earliest possible date and then training and qualifying as a diesel mechanic. But he could hold his own in any company on most subjects from fly tying to salmon genetics. I've seen him effortlessly demolish consenting fishery scientists, eat dismissive professors for breakfast, tongue-tie waffling politicians and outsmart grasping owners selling fishing so they even thought he was doing them a favor buying it. He was generous to his friends with his time and his knowledge and fierce and uncompromising to his detractors. But he never held a grudge, seldom pursued a discredited adversary and forgave easily. Oh, that one of the two of them was still to come in the future to help us out of the mess we're in. Day 2. Tuesday. Tuesday. William McGibbon and Ian Wood, a half day on the trolls with McGibbon at the helm and then the modified Toby's on to see what he thinks of boat, engine and modern trolling, and a half day on the fly on the Endrick Bank with me on the oars slash electric engine, and them on the fly rods to see their different techniques and methods. I think I'd have liked to have fished with McGibbon, and we'd have gotten on well. William McGibbon was a local Luss man, and leased the Lus Hotel there. He had a reputation as the most successful Lowman salmon angler of his generation, when there was plenty competition. He fished alone, without the services of anyone on the oars to keep the boat in the right water at a time when most of the other gentlemen anglers employed local boatmen-slash-gillies. He could troll and fly fish with the best of them and modified his own rowing boat to take an inboard engine in the days before outboards and when oars were the only alternative. He caught a prodigious number of salmon each year, most out solo and many on the fly. In season 1925 he alone killed 60, 60, salmon and grills. After retiring from the hotel business and at the peak of his angling powers, he was drowned by Lomond on 28th of January 1927. Later that same year 1927 was a time of particularly heavy salmon with 3 of 21.5 pounds, 7 of 22 pounds, 2 of 22.5 pounds, 2 of 23 pounds, 8 of 24 pounds, 10 of 25 pounds, 2 of 25.5 pounds, 3 of 26 pounds, 1 of 26.5 pounds. One of 27 pounds, two of 28 pounds, one of 29 pounds, one of 31 pounds, one of 34 pounds, one of 35 pounds, one of 36.5 pounds, and one of 38 pounds. I'm certain, as a keen mechanic, he'd be fascinated by my Yanmar 1 GM10 diesel powered Tupperware boat, the noiseless electric engine setup, and the digital sounder. I'd want to watch how he adapted to modern lures and equipment, but I also suspect he'd be reluctant to abandon his own methods, which work so well and I defiantly want to know exactly what happened in the January 27 storm which ultimately caused him to miss out on the season of monsters noted above. Ian Wood was one of the best-known Loman anglers of his generation, and his name is still synonymous with record catches of fly-caught salmon from Lomond's Endrick Bank. His catches of salmon on the white-tipped turkey-winged flies he invented became legendary. He haunted the Endrick Bank area, seldom if ever trolled, and was on the Yaya Committee in the 1950s he became the first editor of Trout and Salmon magazine, leaving his Loman fishing to take up the job. What would he make of 15 feet carbon fly rods weighing the same as his old rod bag and depth control by battery power? No noise, no effort and no toiling boatman. I'd show him my own box of salmon flies for Loman, which won't look any different from his, packed as it is with size 6 turkey and golds, turkey and mixids and mallard and yellows. What would they both say when told they had to put all salmon they caught back in the water alive by law, that and salmon were now raised in millions in sea cages and that had decimated wild stock, and that seals, mergansers, beavers and fishery scientists were all now protected species. We'd come to a special agreement on the day that any fish caught would be killed, as they were in their own day, and agree that if they both killed five each it wouldn't make one iota of difference to the survival of Lomond as a fishery. Day 3. Wednesday. Willie McGrandall and James McGrandall. A full grill strolling day with tobies in Rorden and waters with the evening for sea trout on the fly around Fad, Moan or Moran. Willie McGrandall and James McGrandall, the two best known to me of four McGrandall brothers who all fished Lomond. They could troll or fly fish equally well, salmon or sea trout whatever the season or weather. They were already past retiral age when I met them but took an interest in my own development as a Lomond regular. They first introduced me to the ways of the Golden Sprat. Their brother George lived somewhere on his south coast and had access to natural sprats just off the trawlers when it was almost impossible to get them in Scotland and they consequently always had plenty of jars which they occasionally gave to those they thought would use them properly. To me Willie was the sprat man, and James the better fly man and I spent time with both at extended drum ups talking about the old days, the fish they'd caught and the characters they'd known. But I never actually fished with either. Back together in the same boat in their heyday would be like turning the clock back for all of us but I'd need to make sure the gold sprats were perfectly dyed to the right shade, and spinning like dervishes under the slightest draw. After the day, maybe a dram or two while happing up because you and son of James, would be picking us all up and taking the catch home to fillet and hot smoke. Day 4. Thursday, John Bryce and Mrs. W. Leckie Ewing. A day of mixing it up, partly salmon on the big fly around the islands, partly dapping the daddy, maybe on the road shore or around Rochoish, and an extended drum up. John Bryce, John wasn't known much outside Bamaha or for catching large numbers of salmon or sea trout. He caught his share, but the reason for his inclusion is he was the best of company regardless of his own circumstances which he completely disregarded in the process of making everyone else's Lomonday day one to remember. He was a social animal, and often would spend more time ashore round the fire, eating, drinking, telling outrageous stories and making the rest of the company laugh, than out fishing. John suffered most of his adult life from crippling rheumatoid arthritis and gradually had every moving joint in his body removed and replaced in stainless steel. He became a guinea pig for testing new RA treatments, some even before they were licensed, in a desperate effort to keep himself going. He enjoyed a varied succession of careers from professional deep sea diver, scaffolder on the invricate power station chimney to tunneling engineer, a bit of a puzzling mix. He was also a noted terrier man, fox man, shooting man, wildfowler, spaniel man and game angler. A man of indomitable spirit and courage he soloed his lowman boat mindless of the dangers and the physical pain involved. He many times competed for, and eventually captained, the Scottish disabled fly fishing team. As things deteriorated he himself modified his shotgun forend to something approaching a tommy gun grip which helped him to continue shooting long after a standard gun would have become unusable. He was one of those fortunates who never suffered from hangovers, and I seldom saw him refuse a dram. He loved dapping the daddy as it allowed him to fish without the tiring endless casting involved with the fly yet gave him the same chance of a fish as any other able-bodied fisher. He thought nothing of being released from hospital after a long stay and being on the lock with me the following day, ignoring all pleas for him to take it easy. The heart of an lion. Mrs. W. Leckie Ewing was the wife of Major Leckie Ewing and they moved to live on the lock side in 1922. At a time when few women took up salmon angling as a sport, especially on Loman. She seems to have been unique in that she fished regularly and seemingly was easily as successful as her husband. On the afternoon of June 30, 1927, that year again, they left Bamaha in an east wind heading for Derek but decided to fish down Inchvad first. At the first point, while the major held the boat, she rose to the mallard and yellow on the bob, hooked and landed a male salmon of 36.5 pounds The fish was later set up and presented to the Yaya where for years it hung in Lus Public Hall. Maybe it's still there. A day out with the lady, Who could obviously fish a bit would be a real curiosity. I've never shared a boat with a competent fly fishing woman, and I'm certain John would be just as keen as myself to see her in action. And anyone who's landed a salmon over thirty pounds on the fly—never mind from Lomond—would be worth their seat for the day. The day out with them possibly wouldn't produce as much in the way of fish in the boat as with some of the others, but the company would be the finest, and another big fish would always be a possibility. Eventually, John had to give up the lock due to ill health, and is no longer with us but I'm sure would relish another easy relaxed day touring round his old haunts. 5. Friday, B Mulligan and Bill McEwen, again a day of mixed trolling and fly on the sea trout drifts. Both could do either, though both preferred the fly. B Mulligan for years provided the weekly Lennox Herald angling reports from Lock and River. McEwen did likewise in numerous angling publications, wrote countless articles about Lomond, and also the book that got so many of the present generation of Lomond anglers hooked both were avid Lomond anglers and didn't just talk a good game. They were out constantly and had the pedigree to underwrite their inclusion here. Few will know much about M. B. M., as he signed himself in his many reports, but you soon will as my serialization of the scrapbook progresses. He was a local Balak man and also fished the Levin regularly, but I think his first love was the lock. He would have seen both at their best, around the years before and just after the Second War, would have witnessed some historic and record catches and the development of gear and tackle from Greenheart, cane and gut to fiberglass and nylon. He wasn't shy in expressing his opinions and would, I think, be good company in a boat. Bill McEwen's last few years overlapped my own first years on the lock. He'd started out in a time of plenty, with a lock full of salmon and particularly sea trout. Sea trout runs were prodigious and in the fly fishing was superb. Reports of numbers of fish caught in these days were staggering. The addition of hatchery-reared stock obtained from over from the river Vistula in the Baltic if anything made things better. He fished through it all, salmon and sea trout, but by the time I arrived had already started to see and warn in his articles about the decline. Still, if we were still getting fishing now that he classed as in decline then, we'd think we were in heaven. I met him only once or twice in Bamaha, saw him fishing regularly, but never talked to him at length. But a day in a boat with him would I'm sure lead easily into countless stories, memories and reminiscences. I'd even let him use my own 15-feet-graze-long Lomond rod, longest in a series which he had specially built to allow him to fish the bob fly for the maximum time but without tiring. He is the most recent of a succession of Lomond's well-known riders who over the years kept Lomond fishing on the map and enthused generations of anglers to take up the challenge of the big lock. Day 6, Saturday, Special Invite Day, Henry Lomond gets an unchallenged at number 1, the prime stern seat as befits his seniority, with Ian Wood at number 2 in the bow. Henry Lamont gets his invite because without doubt he is the founding father of the modern Yaya and did more than anyone ever did to ensure Angling on Loman was there for all the generations that came after. Not only that but he did so in a considered, measured and gentlemanly fashion, persuading, explaining, by his own personal example and by the sheer power of his intellect. As a lawyer his respect for, and adherence to, the written law is a prerequisite for all Yaya chairman, a point sadly lost on the present incumbent. His professional career and private life is littered with collaborations with other well-known figures of the time, politicians, lawyers, artists, authors, writers and newspaper editors and other famous anglers who collectively gave him access to the influence he needed to further his passion, which was salmon and sea trout angling on Loch Lomond. I can find no record of him ever fishing the leaven. He left us a legacy later carried forward by a series of influential characters diluted occasionally by a fair smattering of incompetence, but always the foundations he said have survived. Old Henry probably isn't up to two days in the one week now, and likes a draw on his pipe, so we'll both sit and watch Mr. Wood doing his stuff. I find Lemon's writing style, his unassuming manner, his good manners and his humor puts his books in the category of classics. Ian Wood gets the second bow seat invite by a shorthead, a very close run thing. Mostly because I want to watch again exactly how he did it. To see his methods, his flies, the exact areas he deemed worth fishing, how the Endrick Bank has changed since his day. I want to sit in a gentle breeze and count the jumping salmon as he used to count them in the 1940s and 50s. I want to watch him rise to the bob, right up close, hook, play and land a salmon of over 25 pounds I then want to see the look on his face when I tell him to put it back and tell him that's what salmon angling means these days. Again his books are masterly in their descriptions of how best to fish Lomond, and are a window to a bygone age. After this last fish is landed I want to stop, right then, and so will he I expect, disgusted at what's become of the once famous Yaya and the memorable fishing he enjoyed. And then the three of us will head back into the drum-up ball roaster to meet the other eight to swap a few flies, share a dram or two and say our goodbyes. Get Outlook for Android?